title for the message this morning is What God Starts, God Completes. You know, one of the many differences that I observe between June and I in our marriage over now nearly 52 years is the fact that June is much better when she starts something at completing it. I'm not good at that. In fact, I, I would like to, I'd like to blame it on the fact that when I was in industry, I was taught that going from 90% to 100% often doubled the cost and doubled the effort. Now, I'd like to use that as an excuse, but it really isn't uh, uh, a, a correct or justified excuse. But this morning, we're going to look at a verse in the Bible that can give us confidence that when God starts something, he finishes it. And then... In particular, we can have confidence that our salvation that God began, he will complete. So I'd like you to turn to Philippians chapter 1. Just going to read the one verse wonder this morning, verse 6. Paul writes this, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Let me read that again. And I am sure, Paul was sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. When Paul writes this letter to the Philippians, he's writing to a church that have become fearful and discouraged because of uh, Paul's imprisonment. Paul was in prison for preaching the gospel and this discouraged the church and they were fearful. And although they were fearful and discouraged, Paul certainly wasn't. Right at the outset of this letter, he was wanting to convey his confidence in their eternal well-being and the work that God had begun in them. In other, word, in other translations, the word used for sure is confident. I'm going to use that word this morning more. He says, I am confident of this thing. His confidence did not come from himself, did not come from his ministry, or not from his knowledge of the Philippian church. It came primarily from his confidence and trust in a faithful God. We hear the gospel and God's word taught and preached by many faithful men. But like Paul, our confidence ultimately must rest and abide in God himself. There are many people, sadly, who've put their confidence in preachers and leaders over the years. And when as a result of perhaps those men falling or sinning, they have lost their confidence in God and in God's word. And they're thrown into confusion. Paul's confidence was not in men, but it was in God. He was confident that the work that God had begun with the Philippian church, God would complete. Paul desired that the Philippians would have the same confidence in God as he had. He wanted them to live assured of God's work of salvation in their lives. Spurgeon says this, full assurance is not essential to salvation, but it is essential to satisfaction. It's not essential <coughs> to your salvation, but it is essential to our satisfaction, our joy and our peace in God. 
And whether we live in the assurance of our salvation or not, it does not affect the reality of it. So even if you're lacking assurance, it doesn't affect the reality of it. But as Spurgeon says, it will affect our satisfaction. It will affect our peace. It will affect our joy. Romans says the kingdom of heaven is of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. God wants us to live with an assurance that will bring us peace and joy. And so this morning, in looking into this text, we're going to look at what is the good work that God has begun in us? Who is completing that work? And when will that work, that good work, come to completion? So first of all, what is the good work that God has begun in us? Well, first of all, we need to be clear that it's God alone that started the work in our life. When we were born again, born again by faith, we were born again by the Spirit of God. It was God alone who started the work. And that faith that was given to us when we were born again at the time of our regeneration was given to us by God. So it was God alone who started the good work in us by granting us faith, faith to believe and trust in Jesus and trust in the work of Christ. The day we were declared righteous by faith is the day that God started a work in us. The day that you and I were declared righteous by God. Not righteous in our own works, but righteous by God through faith. That was the day God started to work in us. And Paul says in uh, Philippians 1.29 that it was granted to us so that we might believe but also suffer for the sake of Christ. Now notice here that Paul doesn't, he's not talking about a work done for us. He's not talking about what Christ has done for us. He's talking about a work done in us by God. He's not talking about the work of Christ on the cross. He's not talking about what Jesus atoned for for us on the cross. But it's God's work in our lives that transforms our hearts and causes us to believe and have faith in God. So we need to be clear, it's not about the work done for us that he's talking about here, he's talking about the work that is done in us. Having faith, believing is something done in us, and this work, this good work, Paul is confident in, was done when we were dead. Ephesians tells us that when we were dead in our sins, dead spiritually, we were made alive with Christ. By grace you have been saved. See, we couldn't have started this work because we were dead. We were dead in the same way that when Lazarus was lying dead in the tomb, he couldn't come out because he wanted to come out. It's only by the powerful words of Jesus that Lazarus was raised from the dead and came out of the grave. And so it is with us. So Ephesians 2 verse 8 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own, of your own doing, it is the gift of God. It's the gift of God. By God's grace we're saved, but that salvation comes through faith. And Paul says the faith you 
have to believe and trust in the works of Christ for the forgiveness of sins is a gift from God. Our ability to trust in what Christ has done for us comes because of what God is doing in us and has done in us and granted us that faith. Our salvation is therefore not a result of our works so none of us can boast. We've been adopted into God's family. We're children of the living God but we can't boast of anything in ourselves that has brought us to that place. Ephesians 2 verse 10 tells us that we are God's workmanship created by him in Christ for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them and those good works that we are to walk in are also works of faith. So we see the works that the God has prepared for us flow from faith and therefore in the very cells they are works of faith. So coming back to Philippians, Philippians 2, 12, 13 says, It is God working in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. The works that he speaks about in Ephesians, the works prepared beforehand, is the work God is doing in our lives for his good pleasure. It's not the works of our jobs and tasks. It's that heart work what's going on inside those works that have been prepared beforehand and that work is work that we do to please God work that God is doing in us is a work that will lead us to in all things to please God and this good work of God is a very personal work as I said earlier it's a work done in us not a work done for us. So let's look at who is completing that good work. Well, built into everyone, I believe, is a sense of independence. I want to do my, uh, I want to do what I want to do in my own way and in my own strength. From the earliest age, <coughs> excuse me, we see our children wanting to do things for themselves. I wonder how many of you who have young children or <coughs> those of you who had children in the dim and distant past, when they were young that is, um, remember a child, you try to feed it and it's saying, I'll do it, I'll do it, I'll do it. It wants to do it, there's built into, into us at the earliest of age, that desire that we want to do it, we want to be in control. So the danger for us is that even though we recognise that God started a work in us, we want to take control, we want to bring about the change in our own strength. We live in a culture of DIY, do-it-yourself. <laughs> uh, the emphasis being on self. We buy self-help books to help us. In fact, these self-help books are really a euphemism for getting help from others in secret. The only true self-help book is the book you wrote. The challenge for us <coughs> is not to apply this self-help culture to add progressive sanctification, to try and take over from God and see ourselves as completing the work that God has started. I love this quote from A.W. Tozer. He said this about self. Self is one of the toughest plants that grow in the garden of life. It is, in fact, indestructible by every human means. 
just when you are sure it is dead. It turns up somewhere as robust as ever to trouble our peace and poison the fruit of our lives. You see, self, self-focus is rooted in pride. Self-confidence, self-obsession, self-sufficiency, selfishness, and all the other selves are rooted in pride. Acts 17, verse 28 says, we are to live and move and have our being in him. It's in Christ we live. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ and it is no longer I that live, but Christ who lives in me. Our lives as a, as a Christian is, is no longer just living for self, it's living for Christ, with Christ living in us. It's Christ that lives in us. And Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 1, 7, 9, that the God who called you is the God who will sustain you. Why? Paul, Paul says, because God is faithful. He is the one who called you into the fellowship of his Son. It is God who ultimately will sustain us. Because, as Paul says, he's faithful. Haven't we experienced that over the last year or so? If somebody told you 18 months ago or so what was going to happen over the next year, we were not going to be able to be out of our homes, we were not going to be able to do many of the things that we normally would do, you can't go on holiday, uh, some of you are not able to work, not able to see family, not able to hug one another, although that's allowable now. I wonder what you would have thought. I wonder if you said, do you know, I just couldn't face that. And yet I look around this room and I see the sustaining grace of God towards each of us. Why? Because God is faithful. Paul's confidence was founded in God's faithfulness. And Paul's prayer for the Thessalonians is that may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. May your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He who calls you, he who will sanctify you completely, your whole spirit and soul and body, and be kept blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, he who does all that is faithful. He will surely do it. And when we don't rely upon God's sanctifying work in our lives and try and do things ourselves, we tend towards legalism, which is just trying to do God's work for him, trying to atone for our sin. Legalism, this has serious and dangerous implications. A.W. Tozer says, the essence of legalism is self-atonement. The seeker tries to make himself acceptable to God by some act of restitution, or by self-punishment, or the feeling of regret. The desire to be pleasing to God is commendable, certainly. But the effort to please God is not. For it assumes that, one, that sin once done may be undone, an assumption, holy force. Sin can't be undone, but sin can be atoned for. 
atoned here that we see by the work and person of, personal work of Jesus Christ. But our sanctification is a continuing work of God. Hebrews 11 tells us that without faith, it is impossible to please God. We cannot please God by self-effort. It's putting our trust and our faith in him that pleases him. That's what delights God. You want to know this morning what pleases him? Your faith. With all the things that may be going on in your life and perhaps sins that you've committed, sins you will have committed. But it's turning to him in those times. Even in those dark times of sinful action or sinful thought, sinful deed, that God is delighted in you. He's delighted when we, we reveal that faith in an expression to him of confession and repentance. And Jesus is delighted because Jesus, he's not delighted in your sin. God is not delighted in sin, don't misunderstand me. But he's delighted when we come to him because that's the very reason why Jesus came to, came to planet Earth. He came for that very reason. And very often when we've fallen into sin, we, we kind of come back off and we think, oh, I better, I better stay away from God for a while. I won't pray. No, that's the time to, to press in. And God is pleased when we do that. We cannot please God by self-effort. But Paul says that it is God who works faith in us for his good pleasure. See, the Christian life is not just about accepting Jesus as my saviour from sin and then living according to my view of what a godly Christian life would look like. No, it is constantly trusting in Jesus as my Lord as well as my saviour and pleasing him by being wholly, totally dependent upon him. John Piper uh, uses this illustration, which I found, really, I, I found really helpful. He said, the good work of God is not like getting a vaccination at the age of six, and then just sitting back and letting the vaccine do the work. But continuing on in this medical analogy, he said it's more like going regularly to God and having a divine dialysis. You know, some people think, well, I got saved because at the age of eight, I accepted Jesus as my Lord and Saviour. It's like the vaccination. Yeah, I've had the vaccination. We're, probably most of us now, a good percentage of us in this room have probably had at least one vaccination. And we're trusting that vaccination will do the work to protect us. But that's not the same for a Christian. It's not a divine kind of vaccination, but it's, 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 it's at, at any age. At any age. But it's going regularly to God and having a divine dialysis. Placing ourselves in a position that allows God to complete his work in us. Only God can continue his work of salvation during our life, and it's only God who can finish the good work started. That work started when we were declared righteous by faith. For in no way, in no way, can we make ourselves righteous. None of the works of the flesh can justify us. 
sanctify us or glorify us. The work of salvation belongs to God and God alone. We're not required to do anything to get saved or remain saved. It is by the grace of God alone that we are saved. And we are saved by faith and we are to live by faith. So in talking this way, the question we might ask ourselves is, does it, this mean that because we are sure God is doing this work in us, we could just sit back in a quesera, sera, some of you may not know what quesera, whatever will be, will be. It was a song that used to be sung years ago. Uh, but quesera, sera, whatever will be, will be. We just sit back, whatever will be, will be. There's nothing more for me to do. If we're so sure about what God has done and what he will complete, should we make any effort to bring it about? Well, Paul gives us the answer in Philippians 2, verses 12 to 13. He says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Now this is not a contradiction. You may feel this seems to be a contradiction. I thought God was going to do it, now he's saying about working. What Paul is wanting to convey is that, that we work out our salvation, but it is God who is producing the fruit and his good work in us. As we position ourselves for spiritual dialysis through the means of grace that God gives us, through prayer, through God's word, through fellowship with God's people, we can trust that God will do the good work in us. It's only he who can produce spiritual fruit. And he does that as we abide in him and walk in his spirit and in his truth. So where should we be active then? Well, we're to be actively submitted to God. We are to be actively dependent upon him. Paul is not saying here that working out the implication of the gospel is easy, but he is saying it's necessary. And Paul himself, even though he was sure of this good work that God begins and finishes in us, was not passive or complacent. In Philippians 3, verse 12, great verse here, not that I have already obtained this, or I am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ has made me his own. His determination was to press on to perfection and to position himself for God's good work. He was not passive or complacent, but his motivation, the motivation comes at the end because I press on to make it my own because Christ has made me his own. Christ has made us his own. That's a wonderful thought. The good work that God has begun in us will be completed by God. We can't do it. But our role is to position ourselves in working out our salvation so that God can produce in us that good work. Can I just say here as well at this point, thinking about this, and when we see good works, the works that God is talking about, 
the Bible is talking about, good works in one another's lives. It should not be a cause to boast, but it should be a, a cause to give the glory back to God. And for each of us to recognise that a good work is an evidence of God's gracious working in our lives. Then finally, briefly, when will that good work come to completion? And I am sure, I am confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. At the day of Jesus Christ. That's when this work that God began will come to completion. The most important day in our lives, your life and my life, is yet to come. We'll have many, I trust, significant important days on that journey. But the most important day is a day yet to come. It's the day of Jesus Christ. As a Christian, I believe there's two, two important days. There's today and that day. Today, because we're not promised tomorrow, and that day that we do know will come. That day will come. In the Old Testament, in Ezekiel, we haven't got time to go through it this morning, and, and other scripture references, speaks of the day of the Lord. And the day of the Lord in the Old Testament was referencing the day of God's judgment. And in, in 1 Corinthians, we, we read about the day of Christ, and it is used to reference the day when Jesus returns to planet Earth. The day of Christ is an important day for everyone. For unbelievers, for those who are still in their, dead in their trespasses and sins, it's a day of, punishment, of judgment and eternal punishment. But for those who have put their trust in God and have been made alive by God, have had this work of God commencement, that day will be a day of reward. It will be a day of rejoicing. It's a day when that good work that God began in you will come to completion. John tells us that, that we, we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. When Jesus returns, we be like him. Everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Paul says in Romans 8, verse 30, those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. The day of Christ, the day of Christ when Jesus returns is the culmination and the fulfillment of Romans 8, 30. It's the day that we are glorified. It's that culmination of that scripture. So other than positioning ourselves for spiritual dialysis and working out our salvation, is there anything else we can do? Well, we can pray. Paul in Philippians 1 verse 9 to 11 prays for the church in Philippi to be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. To be pure and blameless for the day of Christ is not down to us. It is a result of the work that God has begun in us that he will complete when Christ returns. And even though Paul is confident that it will be completed by God, he still prays for that work to be completed. Praying does not reflect a, 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 a lack of confidence, quite the opposite. It reflects our trust and confidence in a faithful God. Praying what God has promised is not contradictory. Prayer is one of the means that God uses to bring it about. We pray the Lord's Prayer, don't we? Pray the Lord's Prayer. 
knowing that God's name will be hallowed. His kingdom will come. Our sins are forgiven, but we still pray. And when we pray, along with Paul, for the work to be completed, we reveal our need, our dependency upon our sovereign God to do the work and to complete the work. But we should never believe that God's sovereignty excludes us from prayer and working out our salvation. Our confidence, our trust this morning is not in us, but it's in the good work of that salvation that started with God and will be completed by God. God always finishes what he starts. Let's pray.